0: An ongoing investigation is being pursued by the U.S. on the origin of the COVID-19 virus. The former president, Donald Trump, already raised the possibility that this came from a Wuhan virus laboratory. But of course, that was Trump. It was dismissed. And the far left said that it was just a conspiracy theory. But now the present administration has found evidences that support that possible origin. And knowing the origin, of course, will help the understanding of those who are addressing this situation, although even without that knowledge, the vaccines were developed. Now, in spiritual matters, the same distinction can be made. Uh, There is the origin of an important message that saves, but the message that saves is still a message that saves, even though one knows the origin of it or not. So one teaching that is an essential part of the Saving Gospel is what we call justification, which which really is a legal term, and we can call it, for better understanding, as acquittal. Justification or acquittal by faith in Christ. It answers the most fundamental question. The question is, how can a sinner be accepted by a righteous God? Or in legal terms, how can a criminal be acquitted in a judge or by a judge who you know to be righteous, that you cannot bribe? Of course, the answer is impossible. If we are sinners and we are to be judged by our own standing, the only judgment we should expect that should be extended is that of guilty. We are guilty, so how can we be acquitted? And that is the question that this doctrine of acquittal by faith in Christ answers. But do you know the origin of this doctrine? I'm not talking about the source. The source, of course, is the New Testament and the Apostle Paul in particular. But historically speaking, where do we gain for this understanding of this doctrine in its clearest light? Well, that is going back to one man. And that is Martin Luther, who's the, considered to be the initiator of the Reformation of the 16th century in Europe. But the way he discovered his doctrine is through one text. And uh, that particular text has had a transforming effect on him, but not only on him because it changed him and he became the leader of the Reformation. It changed Europe. It changed the world. And what I want to do in this message is I invite you to mentally join him as he struggled with this text. And I am talking of Romans 1.17, how he came from misunderstanding it to understanding it, and then how it changed everything. So Romans 1.17 is our text, but to get the context, we'll read verses 16 and 17. Romans 1.16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live By faith. The Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, although the Roman Church was not his responsibility in terms of having not founded it. He was not the one who had the... benefit or the blessing of founding the church in Rome. There already was a church in Rome and it was increasing in prominence during the time of the Apostle Paul and as Paul wanted to go to a mission work in Spain, he wanted the support of the Roman church in terms of their prayer and he wrote the letter in order to to make them understand what sort of message he is carrying and verses 16 and 17 form an introduction to what will be a systematic development by the Apostle Paul of his message. And we can summarize that message in terms of justification or acquittal by God of the sinner by faith in Christ. And it comes right here in Romans 1.17. Now Martin Luther, when he struggled with this text, he was a monk. He belonged to the monastery of the Augustinians. One of the strictest of that period, Martin Luther discovered the meaning of this text already in 1519, some more than a year after he has posted the 95 Theses in 1517. So in other words, he posted the 95 Theses which spawned the Reformation, and yet he still did not understand the Gospel in full light until he discovered the meaning of this text. This discovery historians call the tower experience of Martin Luther because he discovered it while he was studying in his tower study in his uh, university as a professor in the University of Wittenberg in Germany. His thoughts focused on that phrase, the righteousness of God. And he understood it as it was understood by most everybody in that time to mean that God is righteous. So the righteousness of God means the righteousness that belongs to the character of God. And if that is the understanding, Martin Luther rightly inferred from that, if God is righteous, then that means he as a judge should punish sinners. And Martin Luther, if there is any conclusion as to who sinners are, it must be himself. He was a man very sensitive in his conscience, tender-hearted, and he knew that he was a sinner. And so if God is righteous, as Romans 117 seems to tell him, then it means I have no hope. God's righteousness means that all that I could expect of God is to be judged. And to be judged as a sinner means punishment in hell. And he wrote about this and said that he meditated day and night on this text until light dawned on him and things changed. And as I've said, history changed with him. And I want to summarize in message form what the meaning Martin Luther discovered of this text and develop it. My message is this. Sinful man can be acquitted or justified by faith in Christ and be counted as righteous. Ang makasalaan ng tao ay mapapawalang sala sa paraan ng pananampalataya kay Kristo at mabilang na matuwid. Sinful man can be acquitted by faith in Christ and be counted as righteous. Now, this is a simple change in the understanding of Martin Luther, what the righteousness of God means, but it proved to be a sea change as far as history is concerned. It changed him and it gave a more powerful energy to the Reformation movement. It changed history, it changed the world. And we ask why? Why has it proved to be so powerful and liberating? And why did so many respond to Martin Luther's message in the 16th century Europe? Well, Martin Luther's discovery of the meaning has two parts that will constitute a powerful gospel message. The first is, God imputes righteousness on believers in the gospel. Ang Diyos ay nagbibilang ng katuwiran sa mga mananampaltaya ng Ebanghelyo. God imputes righteousness on believers in the gospel. And the second part is that God grants forgiveness on sinners under the law. Ang Diyos ay ng kapatawaran sa mga makasalanan sa ilalim ng kautusan. God grants forgiveness on sinners under the law. Two simple statements but I will try to show why this has had such a profound change on loser and then on the world of his time and it is still reverberating. In our time. The first part is that God imputes righteousness on believers in the gospel. Martin Luther initially understood righteousness of God. As he was taught in medieval theology, he became a doctor in theology in the University of Wittenberg and later on became professor of the Bible in the same university. And he understood it and he taught it the way he was taught in the medieval history, in the medieval theology, that this righteousness of God means that God is righteous. And it follows that he must punish sinners. And Martin Luther knew that he was a sinner. Therefore, if God is righteous, then he must punish me. What else could it mean? And this concept proved very scary to Martin Luther. More than that, it cost him, according to him, he hated God because of it. To imagine that God should punish sinners for eternity. And then like a light that switched on, he studied the context according to him and then he discovered the real meaning. The righteousness of God is that gift of righteousness he imputes on those who have faith in Christ. Natuklasan niya na ang katuwiran ng Diyos na sinasabi ng teksto ay hindi ang pagiging matuwid ng Diyos, kundi ang katuwiran na ipinagkakaloob ng Diyos sa mga sumasampalataya kay Kristo. Now, to put it in the language of hermeneutics or interpretation, Martin Luther discovered that this is not a subjective righteousness. Subjective righteousness would mean righteousness within God, that God is righteous in himself. Instead, Martin Luther discovered by studying the word, studying the meaning and the context, that righteousness here should be objective. That is the righteousness outside of God. The righteousness that God gives from himself, he gives and imputes on those who will believe in Jesus Christ. And this is particularly confirmed by the citation from Habakkuk by the Apostle Paul, which we ordinarily read to say that the just shall live by faith. But as Martin Luther studied it and understood it, he came to reread it to be saying the righteous by faith shall live. And rereading and understanding The text in that way, Martin Luther writes, it was like entering paradise. This text no longer was scary to him by discovering the real meaning of the text. No longer did he hate God. Instead, that hatred was displaced and for it came love for God. Because he believed in Jesus Christ and he understood that those who believe in Jesus Christ have the righteousness of God imputed to them because of Jesus Christ. He now understands this not as a threat, that because God is righteous, he will punish you. But rather, this is a message of the gospel. For after all, Paul is talking of a good news. How is this good news? Is when Martin Luther realized that what it is saying is that God is going to give you, impute upon you, righteousness through Jesus Christ. Let me use an analogy. Let's say you are intending to enroll in a school, a prestigious school, and you read in the brochure of the school about the quality of the school, And it speaks of the scholarship of the school. Now, you can understand that in two ways. It can mean the quality of the school, that it is characterized by scholarship to mean academic excellence. That is the scholarship that belongs to the school. And when you read it in that way, and let us say that you consider yourself to be academically mediocre, that would be a scary thought to you well, this school is characterized by academic excellence. Who am I to qualify for such a school? But there's a second way to understand the scholarship of the school. It can mean the scholarship that the school grants to those who are applying, that they become scholars, and by becoming scholars, they are accepted to study in the school. And then you receive a certificate in response to your application that confirms that. It tells you that the scholar by gift can study. Now, you see, something like that happened to Martin Luther's understanding of Romans 1.17. At first, the righteousness of God he thought, as so many others thought, meant that God is righteous in himself. And therefore, the implication is, how can I? a sinner be received by a righteous God. How can I even think to stand before God so righteous when I am much of a sinner? I can expect nothing else but judgment. But then when he understood that the righteousness of God means that righteousness God grants, in the same way that you discovered that the scholarship is the standing of a scholar that the school grants, This is good news. That it is not about your academic excellence, but the goodwill of the school that you can now be a scholar and study in the school. And it is in that light that Martin Luther realized what the text is saying is not that God is righteous to punish you, but rather God is good and in his graciousness, he will grant you a righteous standing with God. And that kind of discovery has had such an effect on Martin Luther that it was no less than transforming. It transformed him. And transforming him, it transformed even his message. And when he began to preach the message with now that new discovery that the righteousness of God is God's gift to those who believe in Jesus Christ, there is a new goodness and beauty in the message that Martin Luther preached, you can say that the Ninety-five Theses of uh, fifteen seventeen was the beginning of the Reformation. But really, the beginning of the gospel message as preached was twenty nineteen when Martin fifteen nineteen. But when Martin Luther realized that the righteousness of God is God's grant, God's gift of righteousness, it. Is It was a very world-changing discovery. In the field of scientific invention, one of the greatest groundbreaking invention was the transistor. Uh, We think of the transistor only as transistor radio, but transistor is the principle of transferring current across resistant material. And by being able to do that, they were able to develop more and more gadgets because as they miniaturized in a much smaller scale, the transistor, many other things were developed. You may not realize it. You have thousands of transistors in your cell phone, in your smartphone, in your laptop. And that's a groundbreaking invention. Well, in the same way, the discovery of Martin Luther was a groundbreaking discovery. It was a sea change in Europe and it shook the whole of the continent and with it, the whole of the world. To realize that we are dealing with the God of graciousness, granting righteousness rather than the God who in his righteousness will punish. And I want you to understand it in that way, the way it changed Luther. I pray that it will change you. My challenge to you is receive by faith the good news that there is a righteous standing with God through Christ. This is what this text is inviting you to understand. Tanggapin mo ng man, ng panan- sa pananampalataya ang mabuting balita na maaari kang magkaroon ng ang matuwid sa harap ng Diyos sa pamamagitan ni Kristo. The righteous standing is not because the sinner is actually righteous. No. Inasmuch as a scholar is admitted, not because he is personally academically excellent, but because of the grant of the school. So a sinner is given a standing of righteous before God, not because he is righteous in himself, but because God is gracious. The righteousness that belongs to Christ, his son, is imputed, that is counted on your account, and that is the word impute. The word impute is used in the New Testament, sometimes with a legal sense, at other times with a commercial sense. But either in the legal or in the commercial sense, the idea is putting on your record, not on your personal character, but on your record, you are having this status. For example, when Paul was appealing to Philemon on behalf of the debt that Onesimus may have incurred as an escapee slave, he asked Philemon in his letter to him, put that to my account. And that's the very word for impute. In other words, whatever debt Onesimus has, put it on my record. And when it is on my record, it now appears like I am the one who has Debt to you to pay rather than unisimus. There's a transfer of account. And that is what happened in righteousness. When righteousness is imputed, it is the righteousness of Christ that is put on your record. So it is not because you are personally righteous, but that God can now justify, that is, acquit a guilty sinner in himself but on record he stands as righteous before god because of the lord jesus christ there is a ground for the acquittal and that is because someone has taken the penalty of the criminal and that one who took that penalty is a valid representative we have in our day-to-day life valid representation Parents represent minors, and when minors are guilty of a crime, parents will have to give account to the to the to the law because of that. And the Lord Jesus Christ took representation of sinners, so that upon him was meted out the judgment of God. And on that basis, the record of the sinner, which is nothing but sin, is transferred to the record of Christ and the righteousness of Christ is transferred to the record of the believer so that there is now an imputation of righteousness. The result is an exchange of status. This is what 2 Corinthians 5.21 is saying. He who knew no sin became sin. That is in status on the record. He became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness, again, on record, on status, we become the righteousness of God in him. And with that, Martin Luther proclaimed this message in his time, and it resonated in a populace bred in the church's teaching of penance to satisfy their sins. People were told in order to be forgiven by God, you must confess your sins to the priest and the priest will tell you certain penitential satisfaction for your sins. It may be that you will be asked to pray so many prayers, but back in the time of Martin Luther, it's not just asking you to pray so many times. It may ask you to go to a pilgrimage. It may even ask you to be, to join a crusade. Until they found a way to get around that. And that is by a certificate signed by the Pope that releases you from obligation. And that certificate is known as the indulgence and people flocked to buy that indulgence. And that was what precipitated Martin Luther posting the 95 Thesis because he knew even then before discovering justification by faith that it was a scam. Martin Luther was himself sensitive to his sin. He was a man very much convicted of sin. This is the kind of mindset that the proclamation of acquittal by faith, justification by faith resonated when they realized it's not indulgence they need. It's not penance they need, but rather there is good news through the graciousness of God in extending righteousness, imputing righteousness to sinners. And this remains a good news to sinners today who know the state of their actual unrighteousness. And I ask you to cast yourself upon Christ. You are not righteous by whatever thing you do, whatever ceremonial and sacramental activities you engage in, you will never be righteous. For the Bible tells us there none non-righteous, no, not one. Your only way of righteousness is by the imputation on your record, by the righteousness of Christ. And this happens with faith in Jesus Christ. And the church must be faithful in proclaiming this good news. Whether one-on-one or we have been given opportunity in Bible study to proclaim this good news, let us do so. One such man who was converted during a Bible study was John Wesley. He was converted in 1738 while the Bible study leader was just reading the preface of Martin Luther's commentary on Romans before he even began with any verse in Romans. He was just reading the preface and Martin, or rather John Wesley said, my heart was strangely warmed. And he was born again. This is still the power of this message. That God imputes righteousness. But then there's a second part of this. And that is that God grants forgiveness on sinners under the law. Now the first part, the imputing of righteousness, would not be complete without this second part. Because you will have to ask the question, what of my sin? Yes, I have the righteousness of Christ on record, but I am still a sinner. I'm still the same person who is guilty. Did God simply ignore my sins and counted me as righteous in Christ? But I am still a sinner myself. The completing concept in the understanding of justification by faith is the forgiveness of sins. The law convicts of sin, but the gospel offers forgiveness and grants it through faith in Christ. Ang batas ng Diyos ay nanunumbat ng ating kasalanan, ngunit ang ebanghelyo ay nag-aalok ng kapatawaran at nagkakaaloob sa pamamagitan ng pananampalataya kay Christo. It is not that God simply ignored sins. That will make him an unjust God. He's not a righteous God if he just sidesteps sin, but he does not. Your sins are not ignored. But because of Christ who took the standing of sin, there is forgiveness. And we need to consider that forgiveness as first of all God's offer to all sinners. He offers you forgiveness of your sins. He is willing to forgive all sinners of whatever kind. There is no sin that he is unable to forgive. But he will not just forgive everyone. He will forgive those who are in union with Christ by repentance from sin and faith in him. That's the way to appropriate the offer of forgiveness, faith in Christ. If you are thinking of receiving forgiveness by way of confession, that is something that Martin Luther has tried. We are told that he endlessly confessed his sin to his father confessor, sometimes spending hours, and it was a pity to the father confessor who was Johann van Stoppitz, who had to listen to the confession of Martin Luther hours on end. And Martin Luther would later say that if forgiveness is to be obtained by confessing, then I need a father confessor in my pocket because sins are just there. But here in Romans, the Apostle Paul later on would say Citing Psalm 32 in Romans 4, 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Again, forgiveness is not about feeling peaceful about your sin. It is something that happens by God's grant because of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther, even when he was called endlessly confessing his sin, doing penitential work, it never gave him peace of conscience or satisfaction of the soul. And the same is true with merit religion today. You may try to think you are accumulating merit after merit, but it will never satisfy for your sin. One of the most glorious blessings of salvation is forgiveness. This is good news to those who know themselves to be sinners and the church must proclaim it, that there is forgiveness for sinners. One of the greatest advances for liberty was the fall of communism in Europe in 1989. And the symbol of that was the toppling down of the Berlin Wall in 1989. But did you know that before that, There was a speech given by then President Ronald Reagan that started the domino effects leading to the fall of the Berlin Wall. It was in 1987, Ronald Reagan as president visited the Western part of the Berlin Wall, West Berlin, which was the democratic side, the Eastern side. East Berlin is the communist side And there, while he was giving a speech to thousands in the crowd uh, President Ronald Reagan, after those memorable words directed to the then Secretary General of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, he said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And soon indeed, the wall fell down. So there's the origin of proclamation And then the actual liberation. And this is what Martin Luther had discovered in this text. That there is righteousness, there is forgiveness, and now it is being proclaimed to you. My challenge to you is admit your sinfulness that hopes only in God's gracious forgiveness in Christ. With Martin Luther's discovery, he began to preach this. It shook the whole of Europe. It spawned the Reformation. Why did did it have such effect? The medieval church, as I've said, stood on penance. They had various methods of self-satisfaction for sin. They had relics, relics were materials from the past that they said had power to remit sins. And so they did all kinds, or they collected all kinds of supposed relics, even Martin Luther climbed by kneeling down the Scala Sancta in Rome, which is supposed to be the stairs on which Jesus climbed when he was tried by Pilate and then miraculously transferred to Rome. And towards the end of the Scala Sancta, Martin Luther realized there was no peace of conscience, there was no satisfaction of the soul, and he said, who knows whether this is true. And there were many of such relics. There were claims of strands of the hair of John the Baptist, chips of the wood of the cross of Jesus Christ, uh, drops of blood, etc. All scums. And yet people lapped it up because they needed a sense of forgiveness. And there is none in anything that the church invents. Only in the gospel of Jesus Christ is there through forgiveness. And that kind of message, when you receive it by faith in Christ, is saving. But not only is it saving, it is liberating. As it proved in the case of the Reformation, it liberated people from clergy and popes and superstitions. And it will have the same effect today if only the church is faithful to the message. But many are unfaithful. They are enamored with politics. But let us see what God offers is forgiveness, not by confession, but by faith in Christ alone. Now, I say this not as an unmixed admiration for Martin Luther. He was a man of his times. He had his egregious folly. But on this point, his discovery was epoch-making. It became personally transforming for him, and then historically sea-changing. And I invite you to go through that journey yourself from conviction of sin to the paradise of justification. Let us resolve as a church to be a faithful heir of this Reformation text teaching the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Martin Luther put this in writing, that is why we know of it, but he did so only in 1545. He died less than a year later. Had he not written it, we would not have known that he had passed through this journey. But thankfully he did, just before he died. And I'm asking you to go through the same journey, thinking that you are facing a righteous God who will punish you in a sense that is true but not the point of the text the point of the text is that God is offering righteousness to grant you to impute to you in order that you may be acquitted from your sins the reformation demands are not done we still need this reformation text and may we find Our righteousness is only in the Lord Jesus Christ. We will respond with a hymn before the throne of God above. And the third verse, its first two lines summarize what I've been telling you. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect, spotless righteousness. That is the message of the righteousness of God. Let us sing the hymn before the throne of God above. Let's close in prayer. Our great God and gracious Father, when we look at ourselves, we see nothing but guilt, but sin, and even all the good works that we think we can offer before you are nothing but splendid rags of unrighteousness and we pray Lord that we may realize that we have nothing of ourselves to offer for our own acceptance into your throne and we pray that we may understand the way Martin Luther understood this text in Romans one seventeen about the righteousness of God that it is not about your being righteous and therefore punishing sinners it is rather your graciousness of offering righteousness to impute upon those who believe in Jesus Christ. That is our only hope. That is the only righteousness with which we can be clothed and be accepted into your presence. There is nothing to hope in the church, nothing to hope in religion, nothing to hope in morality. Our only hope is that Jesus Christ lived the life that we should have lived and failed but he lived it perfectly. And then Jesus Christ died the death, the judgment that we should have been judged with. And yet it was Jesus who took them all. And by believing in him, there can be righteousness imputed to us, not because we are righteous of ourselves, but only because of that righteousness imputed through Jesus Christ. And we pray that we may realize that with this goes the grant of forgiveness also in Christ of all our sins and as this message proved to be powerful in the time of the reformation we still need this message we ask that as a church we may continue to be faithful to this message that we continue to teach and preach to people far and wide that there is the God of graciousness offering righteousness and forgiveness only in Jesus Christ. We pray for those who are still not understanding this gospel message, that through this message they may understand that their only hope is Jesus Christ and help us to be a faithful church proclaiming it and still making impacts of a transforming way for individuals and even for societies. So, Father, may your name be glorified in our midst through this gracious news of the gospel that there is righteousness in Christ and forgiveness of sins. And now may the love of God and the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.